Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. <laughs> Now, okay, is can Facebook hear us right now? I mean, are we live on Facebook? Yes. Because I've got yes. Facebook pulled up on uh, my Facebook for the winery, and it's just now finishing the opening. Right. Well, there's so, there's going to be a stream delay. There's okay. definitely, uh, yeah, you're going to notice uh, uh, on all the everything except uh, maybe Blog Talk Radio because we're we're connected directly to them. But yeah, there's a it has to go the stream has to go here, and then mix everything else with it plus the video, and then it goes into the satellite. It bounces off the space station, Jupiter or Saturn, probably and Saturn. then it comes yeah. back, and then. Yeah, it has to go way out there, and then it, and then it hits another satellite, and then it comes back into uh, the other three that we're streaming on. So yeah, it's so it's a big that's difference. Your delay. So okay, okay. Well, that makes yep. sense. Yeah. Well, you yeah, notice yeah. too on there it said the closed caption is uh, digitally automated, so there's nobody typing. It's just uh, it's picking oh. up her voice and doing it somehow. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Yeah, I I thought that was you know, it said that right before it opened there. It said you know the Closed caption is digitally automated. So, yeah, cool. I'm okay. I'm watching though on you, you know, all the little things that you have popping up here and stuff like that. That's cool. So, to my, um, have you seen my uh, breaking news? Um, are you looking at the video? I have the yeah, I'm looking at the now. video right now. <laughs> you know, it's got Ron on there, and then it's got down at the bottom streaming, you know, going across, you know, and okay. 1902. So it's you know 702. If Watch that. Yeah, oh, what do you mean? It's seven o two. It's it's a digital time. It's military time. So, it is. Yeah, 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 I couldn't I couldn't find one that that actually did uh, p.m. or a.m. and you know that kind of stuff. I was like, oh come uh, on, there's one, but it doesn't fit. And I thought, oh man. So I have uh, to, it's nineteen o three. Nineteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> At least for now until no. I figure it out. But uh, um, yeah, we've got a yeah. slideshow going on and. Uh, um, there you go. A bunch yeah. of uh, images there. Most of those yeah, have been on the show, which is, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Before our guest calls mm-hmm. in, I want to I talk about something. The Ladoga Ridge Winery in Missouri. I was going to have them on a couple of times. I talked to them. Every time I saw Ladoga Ridge, Thursday evenings, they were always busy. That was always a time that they had groups come in and Thursday was their, their, their big night for 
uh, I don't know, they used to do meals and stuff. So it was always happening on Thursday. So we never did connect to get them on. And uh, Linda was the girl that was uh, I had talked to when I was there, and she was one I contacted a couple of times, uh, emails and stuff like that. I was talking to my sister today, and she says, oh, by the way, she said, uh, Linda from uh, Ladoga Rich just passed away last week. I went, whoa. Uh, yeah, I mean, she was uh, wow. in her upper 50s, low 60s. And I went to the Ladoga Ridge Winery and started to look around. Only thing I found, the only thing I found was on their Twitter page, uh, dated May 27th. And it said, we cannot help but think about how much uh, Leanda loved the sunsets at the winery. We miss you every day. And that's it. That's the only thing I have found. Uh, no other information or anything. But I just wanted to share that that they they actually never did make it on the show because of you know scheduling conflicts between them and the date and the yeah. time of the show. But uh, yeah. she uh, she we passed have, uh, away. Oh wow! Um, so I just wanted to pass it okay. on. Okay, that answers that. Uh, yeah, thank you. I think we have uh, someone on on hold right now. Uh, yeah, looks like the right area codes. Let's let's get Alan on here. Hello, Alan. Welcome to All About Wine. Hey, Ron. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you can make it. I was looking forward to it. I went to see what you looked like, and I looked up Alan Goldfarb <laughs> on uh, the uh, search, and I found. All sorts of Alan Goldfarbs uh, all over the country uh, doing all sorts of nefarious things, but not you. And then Mike said, look for Alan Goldfarb wine. I did that, and there you were. So I got an opportunity to see what you look like and and get some pictures of you. So I'm not just talking to a voice. I'm actually able to see a face here. Well, the truth of the matter is, Rod, I am the only Alan Goldfarb. You're the, the original, huh? Yeah. <laughs> no, just the only. The only. The only. <laughs> that, that, that reminds me, when I was, uh, I worked as a photographer for a number of years, and we used to take pictures of doctors uh, for a uh a reference magazine that they put out every year. And we would take all these doctors and we would always get the, these Indian doctors. And for the life of me, I'm, I'm telling my story and I'm going to ruin it because I'm not going to think of the name, but um, tell there it is. We had like 50 Dr. Patel's come in and I had one come in and I said, you know, we got so many Dr. Patel's and he said the same thing you did. I'm the only real Dr. Patel. So, you know, it's, I guess if you claim it, then it's yours. That's the simplest thing. Well, I guess that begs the question, is Dr. Patel a wine writer? No, he is not. So he was, <laughs> he was an internalist, I believe, if I remember correctly, the one I talked to. So not a wine writer. So, you know, let me just, just for our listeners out there, uh, we've had guests on, a couple different guests who were referred to us by Alan, and Alan and I were exchanging pleasantries, and I said, well, why don't we have you on the show? And he kindly agreed, and <coughs> oh, excuse me. 
he kindly agreed, and here he is. So uh, give us your pedigree. What have you What have you done in wine? And I know it's quite an uh, elaborate list, but I'll let you tell us. Yes, it is. Well, first of all, uh, like I said, uh, I appreciate your inviting me on because it's actually rare that um, us um, wine writers and uh, to let your listeners know, I wear another hat as a public relations or uh, winery media relations uh, consultant. And uh, it's just rare that uh, either um, a discipline is uh, is, gets on the air very uh, often, and I, and I'm glad that you had the uh, the foresight and the and the vision to see that, and um, I, I'm going to love to be talking about uh, both uh, things that I've been doing. Uh, so my my career act, actually started uh, back in New York. Uh, I w- began at Newsday uh, as a sports writer. Oh, and. Um, I came out to California, and I continued to, to be a sports writer for a number of years for the old Hearst uh, San Francisco Examiner and Associated Press, but I quickly realized that the number one sport in the Bay Area was wine and food. Yes. Now, may I interrupt? So, what years did you yeah. write for the Examiner? The Examiner, I think, was... 76 to 78, I believe. Well, you have a connection I, there? I lived in Concord outside of San Francisco uh, about those years. And I moved in 80. So, yes, I used to get the, the examiner and read it. So I was quite a bit into wine at the time. So I can almost guarantee you in sports, I almost guarantee you that I was one of your followers. No. Oh. <laughs> Well, the, uh, the Examiner was really a good paper then, and it was the yes. afternoon paper uh, yes. in San Francisco when America had such things as afternoon and morning <laughs> papers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as I said, I quickly realized that the number one sport here was uh, wine and food, and I crossed over and I began to write about food, uh, reviewing restaurants uh, for a number of uh, publications and then shortly thereafter, uh, my interest in wine uh, actually started when I was a boy growing up in Brooklyn. And uh, my uh, my um, aunt married a Sicilian man in Brooklyn, and we always were at, we went to their house uh, almost every Sunday for for Sunday dinner, as it, Italians are wont to do. And yeah. there was always uh, always wine on the table, and I, as a as a young boy, uh, I was uh, uh, afforded uh, some of that, those Italian wines, and that really piqued my, my interest, but did not put it, make it into a profession. Didn't realize it could even be a profession until, what, uh, 30 years later or something like that. <laughs> you know, well, it took you a while, but you found your niche. I did, yeah. Um, so I, I have written for uh, many publications, uh, both uh, in the States and internationally. Uh, the, the most uh, um, highest, profile, highest profile publications uh, that your audience would know, I'm sure, is uh, Wine Spectator, 
I've written for right. the Cantor, Wine Enthusiast, uh, many, many uh, newspapers, and um, uh, also for the Art of Eating magazine, which is a, mm-hmm. um, a, a beard uh, award-winning uh, magazine. So I've been around. I've, I've been writing about wine for about 30 years now. Wow. So you were writing during the California heydays when they were finding the, uh, well, when they were beating France in uh, those competitions. Well, that was in uh, 76. Oh, right. Um, yeah, that's right before you became deeply involved. Yeah, I, I actually didn't start. My first uh, wine column was on a little newspaper in the Livermore Valley, which is close to Concord, uh, in 1981, after you left that area, was yeah. with the uh, Pleasanton Valley Times, I think it was called. Yes, it, and that's I was the name. <laughs> yeah, I was a feature yeah. editor there, and I talked my way into writing a wine column uh, covering uh, the Livermore Valley exclusively then. So that was 1981. But well, I all of uh, what, six wineries that were there at the time? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, there were maybe <laughs> 10... Uh, of course, it was a company town, you know. It was it was a Wenty town, right? A little Comcan yeah, enclave, but that was you know. That's right. Wenty right. was, but, was the um, one. That's right. You know, uh, you, you mentioned the uh, the Paris tasting of '76, uh, which put uh, California wines on the map. Um, many years later, I had the good fortune of um, interviewing George Tabor who oh. was, the o- was the only journalist to cover that tasting in Paris, I believe for Time magazine, and he later wrote a book about it, and I interviewed him, and uh, that was very fascinating. And uh, Of course, I then interviewed all of the, the, the Napa Valley wineries that, who were most prominent in that tasting over the years. I, I just, I was living there, and I used to go up to Napa, all the time back then and uh, uh-huh. five or six years I lived in Concord and I got to meet all of the uh, people and the ones who were doing and after the tasting after the ruling and after the judgment and everything Napa was ecstatic they were giggling just about everywhere you went I mean it was just it was an amazing time in Napa uh, after that that uh, Napa actually scored better even if it wasn't your winery it was like we did better than france you know <laughs> it was amazing right right and it, it was probably the signal most moment in american and california wine um oh. and uh they're they're still riding those coattails to this day i'll tell you a little um little known anecdote about uh, one of the wines in that tasting uh, Chateau Montalena's uh, Chardonnay, I believe, right. won for best best uh, Chardonnay at that tasting. And yes. on the label, it said Napa Valley. And it wasn't until years later that it came out that 50% of those grapes came from Sonoma. Oh, really? I, I didn't yes. know that. I had yes, heard yes. that. <laughs> I, I, ac- I actually interviewed uh, the man who made the wine. Um, it was... Um, Oh, uh, it was, um, ah, 
I, I step my I put my foot into it and I, and I can't back it up uh, with the name. It escapes me right now. Anyway, he told me uh, what really went into that wine. <laughs> I think he would have. It, 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 if it were me, I think I would have fudged and said forty nine percent came from Sonoma and fifty one percent came from Napa. <laughs> just just to make yeah. it sound better. <laughs> right. Oh, right. That's amazing. I had not heard that. <laughs> But still, the whole area was so ecstatic after that judging. It was just, it was just amazing. Um, so, if any any specialties you've written and you say you've written about wine, what has been the just of most of your articles? Are they just generic wine, or is there something that you particularly enjoy writing about? Well, I consider myself a wine journalist, uh, Ron. And uh, I differentiate between a wine journalist and a wine writer. Wine writers are generally, not not uh, exclusively, uh, review wines. And I've, and I did that as well, and I judged uh, in many competitions. But as a journalist, I covered the wine industry from many different aspects. It was an agricultural product, so I co- covered the agriculture agriculture. Of, of wine. I covered the business of wine. I covered the politics of wine. Um, any aspect that you can think of, and most people think of wine, you know, it's very romantic, but I didn't cover it like that. Um, and I had the good fortune to have a forum in 2002 to 2005. I was the wine editor at the St. Helena Star, oh. uh, where, where I had the opportunity to write about four uh, different articles a week, and they span the spectrum of all of those disciplines that I just uh, um, delineated. And um, it's interesting, as I, I like to say, the St. Helena Star was a minor league newspaper in the major leagues. Because <laughs> after all, St. Helena, you know, is, is the heart of uh, Napa Valley. It's the heart uh, of the Napa most important one. The most important wine region in America. And right. uh, so I had a great time uh, uh, covering the industry there. And and uh, as part of what I wrote about each week, I had a column. And, of course, in the column, one can opine about uh, one's uh, personal thoughts about um, what was taking place in the industry. And so, as you can imagine, I made some enemies. And I also made some <laughs> friends. But I figured out a, a way to do it that I think uh, held me in good stead. Uh, I, I, used, I tried to use humor, um, to, 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 which would give the illusion of pulling my punches. Because mm-hmm. you can imagine, it, it could have been very treacherous, uh, calling out people of thoughts that I thought they... They were things that they weren't doing correctly, or so I pulled my punches with 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 irony. I used irony a lot, and I learned that growing up as a boy in Brooklyn, reading uh, uh, the the new then uh, sports writers who used to write with lots of irony, and so that they can, for the first time in sports writing, could tell the truth about really what was happening on the field. Heretofore, you know, people, uh, writers were uh, were pals of the players and of management. 
So in order to, uh, to establish a, a credibility, I felt I needed to do that. And to do it, I did it in, uh, hopefully in a humorous way. I remember some people telling me, how could you get away with writing that you did? Or you made me laugh like crazy every week. I look forward to your columns. <laughs> so that but was validation like for me. Al Michaels, uh, he was announcing the San Francisco Giants back then, and the Giants really were horrible. But Al Michaels was well-respected because he would actually tell what they were doing wrong, but he told it with, uh, well, again, irony, uh, with a sense of humor, and everybody loved him for it. And so... you're right. It still continues on even then. And, you know, being able to put it into the wine, that's great. Um, somebody Hello? just opened a bottle of wine. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it, it, have, it, sounded uh, like a, it sounded like a champagne or sparkling wine. <laughs> we have uh, – it should have been wine. That's what the, the thing says. But uh, we have uh, three people in chat right now on Facebook uh, that want to say hi. Uh, so I'm going to give them a uh-huh. quick shout out if you don't mind. Uh, and sure. you know, I know you know somebody, uh, at least one, two people here, Shelly, Marcy, <laughs> and and Felix. Uh, Shelly says, uh, "Go Brooklyn." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> while you were while you were talking, she said that that's a Goldfarb trait. And uh, Marcy says, uh, "My brother, the wine maven." So in case you don't have that on your screen, that's, that's what we're talking about right now. So. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in. And just I got my fans, my two fans. You got uh, fans. All right, yeah. Uh, I don't know who everywhere. Felix is. What yeah. does Felix say? I don't. I don't know Felix. Uh, I think. Uh, let me scroll up here. There was no audio on Facebook for a while, so we got that fixed up. But um, they were talking about that. But he joined. Uh, he said. Something about, I think that was it. Maybe it was about the audio, but he was in there for, for a bit there. Family? Okay. Shelly says family. So, hmm. So maybe, maybe he's part of the part of the group somehow. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll say fan club for now, but uh, we'll we'll see. We'll we'll try and do some more research on that. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> after this is, after this is over, I I promise all my fans I'll be signing autographs for them or signing no, autographs. Very good. Very good, yeah. Very good. Right. I, I like that. <laughs> Bring All right. Good deal. Uh, All right. You guys got good drops there. Yeah. Hit me. Yeah, the, the pressure, pressure is on you now. You've got people out there listening to you, so you can't mess up. you got to. Be sure you do well. Can't disappoint like your I fans. Said, I'm, like I said, I'm the only Alan Goldfarb. <laughs> the only Alan Goldfarb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you, uh, you've said you've tasted lots of wine and reviewed lots of wine. Surely over the years you have found some that have stood out in your mind that you have to wax poetic about. Which ones are they? Oh, I always get questions like that, and it's always very difficult to answer. It is. I know. Uh, I'll, I know. I'll, I'll first answer it uh, with a broad um, uh, response in that um, I love Italian wines in general, 
uh, I think for me, for my palate, Italian wines are the best wines in the world, and especially um, the uh, Barolos and Barbarescos in the Piemonte uh, uh, region that I've, I've visited a couple of times. And I'm really liking the, uh, the wines from um, <clears throat> Sicily, uh, the, uh, the home uh, country of my Uncle Tommy, um, especially the wines around uh, Mount Etna. And uh, lately I've, I've had a, a Yannico from um, um, the foothills of uh, Vesuvius and Campania. I love the Sagrantinos from uh, Umbria, from Montefalco. Um, and a little bit more specifically, I, I, I really am drawn to balanced wines. Uh, and what I mean by that is I, I don't like wines that are over the top in any aspect, whether it's alcohol, whether it's uh, oak, whether it's fruit, uh, I love a wine with really nice fruit, with wonderful uh, tannins and great acidity, in other words, balanced, and generally around 14% uh, alcohol. If it, and and I, I, I'm lamenting that the, even the Californians, uh, uh, the Italians now are, are getting over the 14, uh, yes. 14.5 threshold. Everybody well, you know, they've got to compete in the market. But, you know, the uh, sad thing is about getting alcohol that high, though, is I, I feel anyway that you start losing some of the, well, some of the fruit and some of the characteristics of it because the wine just becomes alcohol. I mean, if I want that much alcohol, I'll pour myself a, a shot of scotch. I mean, it's just, you know, I like to balance myself. And the alcohol levels of some of the wines now, the reds particularly, are, I, I've had some that were up to 16.5%. And I'm going, why? This is, you know, but. Those are like I don't know. sports, I, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those that's that's are, a yeah. good example. Yeah. You know, it's, well, you know. to not get too geeky, but because uh, my sisters are listening, so I don't want to get too <laughs> wine geeky on them. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, wines that, that some winemakers, uh, especially now in, in California, thankfully, uh, they're ratcheting down the alcohol. They're picking a little bit uh, less ripe. Um and they're all, they've also figured out techniques how to integrate or mask the alcohol within uh, the wine if it has other properties going on for it. And so that's not too bad. But, you know, uh, it, it, it's a deadly combination to me if you have high alcohol, uh, very uh, fr fruit forward wine, uh, it becomes so sweet. Uh, even alcohol yeah. is sweet. In, by itself, I see your out, point. Yeah. Yeah. I never looked at so, alcohol as being sweet, but it is. And that's really yes. an interesting yes. idea there because it is really sweet if you look at it. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I once had the good fortune of, of uh, somebody who um, in, in Sonoma County who works in uh, like Frankenstein, uh, like Dr. Frankenstein did, who takes out alcohol by reverse osmosis and things like mm -hmm. that, wanted to, wanted to show me 
the difference in alcohol levels and the effect on, on the palate. And so he lined up for me the same wine with 10 different alcohol levels from 14.0 wow. to 15. And by the time I got to 14.4, 14.5, it was a completely different wine. That would be interesting. And, you know, I would love to do something like it, that. I never it was considered. Fascinating. Huh. Fascinating. And I, and I wrote a column about it. And it, it's amazing. It's only four-tenths of a percent or, or a half a percent. And it's incredible the, the difference that it makes. And, and, of course, if you put in, if you use too much new oak, you know, there's a sweetness in oak as well. Oh, yeah. In, in the vanillins, yeah. you know. So yeah. those are deadly combinations. So give me a balanced wine every time. And um, if I may, I, I want to segue into, uh, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll do it very deftly, you'll see, uh, into <laughs> And so the, the, my, the other thing that I've been doing for the last nine years, 10 years, is that I have a small winery public relations, media relations consultancy business. And uh, I only take on uh, family-owned wineries. So I like to work with very small wineries. And I also taste their wines before I accept them as a client because wow. – if I don't if I don't like the wines, if the wines are not balanced to me, I can't get behind them. I can't fight for them. I can't um, advocate for them, you know. And because uh, right, wine writers, as I have been on the other side of the aisle, we can tell uh, inauthenticity a mile away. Right. So, so, so when I have so when I take on a client, they. I interview them as as well as they interview me. They have to meet certain criteria of of my um, uh, uh, values as well. Have you ever turned anyone down? I have. Yes. Have you? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yes. Uh, for various reasons. Uh, one, I didn't like the wine, uh, <laughs> and also I did I didn't like them. You know, and yeah, well, also that makes a big difference too. Yeah. A third element was that um, they really could, didn't have a story that was compelling enough for a wine writer to be interested in and to write about them. Uh huh. You know, I, well, everybody. You mentioned that, and, and I see your correlation between being a PR consultant and a journalist, because as a PR consultant, you go in with the approach of what is your story? What is people going to find fascinating? What is people going to write about this? Which is, I think, a different approach than just someone who is, I'm going to be a PR consultant for wine. And uh, they don't have the the knowledge of what people are looking for. And it could be more detrimental to the whole project than helpful. So, Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you see that, Ron. Uh, you know, in the 40s through the 70s, most all publicists, whether in any field, in show business, um, in any field, came from out of newspapers. They were newspaper mm. writers because they knew how to separate the wheat from the chaff. They knew what, what a, a good story was. And, um, and so that's a skill set that many 
PR people now. You know, there's a there's a a degree in public relations, and and I don't know if in that um, getting that degree they even studied journalism. And I have to tell you, being on the other side of the aisle as a journalist, um, I can't tell you how many publicists, first of all, don't know anything about uh, journalism, and and amazingly don't know anything about wine. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can you can tell that. I mean, just talking to some people and things like that, the, the lack of knowledge that people try to fake themselves through when it comes to wine. And it becomes more and more evident as time goes on and reading them and, and talking about it and all that. So I understand that completely. It's, you know, it's really interesting. Um, you know, one of the things I do for my clients, I, I write a media kit. And in that media kit is their biographies of, uh, uh, of the principles of the winery, this, the story of the winery, how it came about, the story of the wines that they make, their, their winemaking uh, style and philosophy, story about their vineyards. And I put that together, and that's what I disseminate to the media whenever I engage them uh, and try to get them to write about my clients. And, Ron, I, I have to tell you, more than a handful of times, I have gotten back stories that were published by uh, – I'm not talking about publicists now. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm talking about write, some writers. The, their, their story was almost verbatim from my media kit. <laughs> In other words, no Wait. original thought. No original thought. I was flattered, right, that they that they wrote about yeah. they they used my media kit, and also I was glad to get uh, uh, something published on my clients. But you know, it just um, it rang rang hollow for me, and uh, it came up short. You know, it was kind of superficial. So I try to vet writers to make sure to, not to make sure, but to try to, as best I can in hopes that they will have they they have original thought and critical thinking uh because that's how I approach my my um, my side of the aisle as a as a wine journalist it, what is the background noise there that, that sounds like uh, it is, is but i don't have that a you? yeah i'm hearing myself <laughs> yeah that's what what are we what are we picking up? Somebody there? some somebody has it uh, on speaker. Uh, uh, has, no, has it on, I, on speaker. There, uh, it's off. Okay, okay, there we go. Huh? No, I don't know what that was. Well, uh, that, that, which reminds me, you mentioned you like to go into it. Do you, as a writer of well, wine particularly, but your career spanned you know a few things. Do you have anyone as a young writer come up and ask for advice or ask for guidance or anything like that? Or do they, the young writers sort of ignore the old guys? I think it's more the, um, the latter than the former. Oh, that's sad. I I really have not been approached uh, by a young writer, which disappoints me because I know when I was learning, um, 
every chance I could get, uh, I hung around the old veteran writers to see how they conducted their business, to see how what questions they asked, and then, of course, to see what they wrote. Um, and, of course, many writers hang out together and uh, taste wine together and um, visit various wine regions and wineries. And so we're together a lot, and so we get to spend time together. And I, and I had the good fortune of spending time with such wine writers as Gerald Asher, um, yes. venerable uh, writer, and um, uh, New York Times, um, oh, man, <laughs> it's the second time I'm blocking on a name. Who, uh, <laughs> the fellow who, a wonderful man who preceded Eric Asimov at the, the Times, it'll come to be. Um, a wonderful man and a great journalist that I would ply him for questions and um, uh, and it really helped me and you know they became my mentors even though they didn't know that they were my mentors mm-hmm. well, and yeah, so yeah. I was so, I was so glad to, to to be around people like that and, and I, same thing with me and you know my knowledge of wine and stuff like that I was like I say used to visit Napa and talk to a lot of people up there back when Napa was smaller I mean uh, you know mid to late 70s and early 80s, Napa was much more intimate as opposed to now, I think, anyway. But I used to be able to talk to a lot of the people and, you know, pick their brains and stuff like that, uh, owners and winemakers and all that, which, you know, I'm sad to say you can't do now out there. But it it seems to me like the Internet has supplanted the knowledge of the – person because well, to you a certain, don't have to, to a certain some. degree yeah to a certain degree um you know it, it of course as we all know it can be it's a wonderful tool uh, and it has has so many things uh, to offer um listen i started out on a, a manual typewriter right and i had to go to <laughs> libraries to do research <laughs> uh, uh, yes i am that old um <laughs> Uh, but but it also lends itself. Uh, it, it 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 not eliminates but narrows, uh, as I've mentioned before, original thought and critical thinking, and yeah. it, it in a way it's easier to be lazy. Mm. Yeah. To not get out there and, and pound the pavement, um, you know, as 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 uh, newspaper men used to do. And now it used to be all men, and thank goodness it's not any longer. But, um, yeah, so I, I take your point. Yeah, it's just, uh, the old days of wine journalists used to discover things and all that uh, different stuff. Well, you know, like your story. There's a good example. Your story, you said that 50% of the Monticello was uh, from Sonoma. That's nothing you're going to find on the internet. That's that is simply just old-fashioned interviewing and paperwork and stuff like that. And I, that's why I, I, I don't get me wrong. I love the internet. It's just it's a great tool, and it gives you information you would never be able to find if you try to look for it any other place. But I think it is losing, especially in wine losing some 
things that uh, talking to people and having them explain stuff to you can't express it as well through an article on, on uh, you know, Google or whatever. So, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm going on about the internet, but I just, I've enjoyed the years that I've talked to people and uh, live. And again, you don't get the one-on-one -on -one reaction that was so critical back then, I think. Uh, well, we, we can uh, discuss this uh, ad nauseum, and yeah. we're also showing our we're also showing our age. So. Our age, <laughs> <laughs> our age. Yeah, my daughter usually listens to the show, and she goes, "Oh, Dad." <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you're uh, you mentioned balance in wine. Okay, the Italian wines because they have balance. I love a an Italian Barbera. Uh, that's I would, you know, walk across town to pick up an Italian Barbera. I just think they're I like Barberas anyway, and Italian Barberas are one of my favorites, and always tends to be balanced for me and all that without being overpowering with enough fruit and everything. But you mentioned balanced wines, and you mentioned your love of Italian. Is there anything uh, domestically United States that's stands out in your mind? Um, yes. The um, the Cabernets of uh, Kathy Corison in Napa Valley. Uh, yes. Uh, she, uh, she makes um, balanced uh, Cabernets. Um, uh, <laughs> I have to toot the horn for one of my clients uh, who was on your air a few weeks ago, uh, Philippe Langner at Hesperian. Yes, yeah, up he on Atlas Peak. Yeah. And um, Philippe makes only Cabernets, and um, so far his cab. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's looking to to do something else, Six. but I think that's a, a a year or two away. Oh, uh, yeah. But uh, you know, he 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 was. He was not brought up with, but uh, spent time in Bordeaux with um, with those um, Bordelais grapes, uh, of which Cab is one. Um, right. So that's what he knows best, and um, he's trying like heck to make his wines balanced uh, by using um, uh, used uh, barrels. So he doesn't have that. There's not much that much. Um, Barrel uh, flavor uh, or aromas that uh, that get into the wine. Um, he's up he's on the mountain. He's alcohol with, down too. Yeah, trying to keep the alcohol down. But you know, the, the operative word is trying. And trying. here's the the basic difference. The basic difference between California, Napa, and let's say Italy and Bordeaux. It's much warmer here in California. Yes. And so, so it's much, so it's more difficult to make wines of less uh, alcohol because the sugar levels are higher. It's much cooler uh, in uh, um, Piemonte uh, or Bordeaux, and so that, so that that's an inherent difference between the old world and the new world. And it's a constant struggle. You know, I'll, again, I'll tell you a little story that you probably know. Um, I was around, uh, I really started writing um, 
the heyday of um, my wine uh, writing began in the early 90s. And I can't tell you uh, how many press conferences I, I attended that the wine industry was practically slitting their wrists because they were afraid of losing an entire generation. It was Gen X at the time <laughs> who weren't, who weren't going to be wine, uh, wine drinkers. <laughs> and so what, what did they do? They left the grapes on the vine longer, and they picked then no more at 24% uh, they, bricks. They picked at 27 28 29%. Yeah. Yeah. They used new oak barrels, and uh, the alcohol levels became, started going from 13.5 to 14.5, and with wow. new barrels and, and, and sweet fruit. And you know what? Those kids became wine drinkers, and America became a wine culture. So what the hell do I know? Yeah, and you're (laughs) absolutely right. And, you know, I never looked at it that way. But I remember at that time, I I started to see that the the picking, I mean, the bricks – started to jump up at picking, uh, picking. I'm going, what, what are you, what are you doing? And I said, it's what the, what the kids want. And sure enough, that's, they started to sell and they started to, uh, you know, it's, it's what the mark, it's what, the, it's what the market will bear. And also a, another inherent, another inherent situation aside from weather, uh, um, in Europe versus uh, the New World, America, it, we're capitalists. So yeah. <laughs> we know how to make money. Whereas, especially the Italians, we're not so much, not so much uh, capitalists. And and actually, the reason why the French and the Spanish and and the Italians, their alcohol levels are creeping up higher and higher and higher, higher because they realize that they had to be capitalists also. They had to compete yeah. in the market. And, and you know, you can also look at the rosé too. Uh, that's a good example of capitalism. Uh, it, people go, "Ooh, rosés! I don't like." But then all of a sudden, the new generation is embracing the rosés and finding it exciting and, and light enough and a little bit sweeter and all that. And now you're seeing rosés all over the place. Everybody's making them for the same reason. It's something that's going to sell and it's back down the capitalist. <laughs> so it's very true. I told you I was going to, uh, uh, as a wine journalist, I talk about agriculture. I talk about business. I, I talk about uh, terroir. Um, and uh, so you mentioned rosé, which is an opening for me to uh, tout another one of my clients who was on your air a few weeks ago, and that's uh, the young folks at Pope Valley Winery. Oh yes. Uh, and uh, they they just uh, took on a new consulting winemaker, Jean Holf, Holfliger, and Jean has just released his first wines uh, for Pope Valley. And they have a 2019 rosé, ah. which just fantastic because it's yeah. balanced. It's it's not too sweet. It has great acidity, beautiful color, and wonderful fruit. And uh, I, I, I say this. I know there's a conflict of interest here for me, but I really mean <laughs> it as as a journalist because I, I love I love that that wine. 
Um, uh, so uh, that's one that, that hope, hopefully people can find. It's a Pope Valley 2019 rosé. Um, I think it's about 20 bucks. That's reasonable for a rosé now, too. That's very good. Uh, and you say that it's got the balance there, and that's what you're looking for. And so that serves its purpose on that, too. I, I think people turn their nose up at rosés simply because they are rosés. And so it's a shame because there are some wonderful ones like you just mentioned out there that people can probably find some uh, great wines in the rosés that they just look a little bit for them. Well, there's been a paradigm shift with rosés, as you mentioned uh, when you introduced the subject, Ron. Um, I think there's been now enough coverage uh, and enough rosé wine from around the world that um, rosé has entered the pantheon of top quality wine. And it's not just plunk and it's not just for drinking in summertime. Uh, it's not just drink for drinking uh, with uh, cheese. Uh, it's more, it has more substance to it. Yes. Yes. And, and there, there's, like I said, there's some great ones out there. People just need to, quit passing by the rosés on the shelf and grab one and try different ones. And I'm sure they will be pleasantly surprised. I wanted to bring up a point. I actually, I actually think it's a big niche now in, in, in the wine market, rosés. It is. It's jumped up quite a bit yeah. and uh, yeah. percentage of sales and it continues to climb because people are understanding yeah. that it is a, a good yeah. wine. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. What I, were you going to say? I, inter I interrupted you. Oh, that's fine. I wanted to point out, which I think a lot of people don't realize, but the if you start looking at Napa and where it is located in, uh, in Earth, and you go around the globe to Spain and France and Italy and all that, most of those places are a little bit further north than Napa is. It's... It, the Napa is really south as far as the latitude and longitudes go than uh, most of Europe. And because of that, you're going to have different different types of wines coming out of those regions. And also the mountains that run throughout Europe and, and all, all the countries there do make a difference too. And I, it's something that... The, Again, we're getting back to the topography and something that you said that you, you know you've written about, and I'm sure you can point out the difference in the areas simply because of the cooler climates and well, terror and all this other stuff. But uh, well, I, I want to to uh, bring your. Uh, listeners' uh, uh, attention to the effects of climate change is really what we're talking about here, uh, and it's already begun to happen. It's happened in Champagne. Uh, it's the reason why there, uh, uh, many of the Champenoise have bought property, land, and, built, and, and planted vineyards in southern England. Mm -hmm. And for the last 10 years, and now there are some really good uh, sparkling wines coming out of southern England because it's, it's, too, it's too warm now in Champagne. And Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, 
that go into sparkling wine champagne uh, needs cooler climates. And I also want to tell you that it's uh, just beginning to happen now in uh, Napa Valley, in which uh, the napkins, as I like to call them, has have thrown their lot into a one, principally a one grape Cabernet Sauvignon, <laughs> and, yes. it's getting, and it's getting too warm there. And I, you're going to see changes in, over the next ten years. That uh, can you imagine? Uh, are they, are they going to grow different grapes now in Napa and have have to have a whole new marketing campaign over the next ten twenty years? I think so. Yes, I agree. I've talked about, excuse me, my voice is cracking. I talked about climate change uh, quite a bit on the program and interviewed wineries in Willamette Valley and Oregon. And they said that they're looking at by 10, 15 years, Willamette Valley and Oregon will be the new Napa as far as climate and, you know, growing Cabernets and stuff like that because Napa is warming up. That's right, and here's so here's another perfect example of a region. Willamette Valley have thrown their lot into one grape, Pinot Noir. Yeah, yeah, they have. And, and, it, and, and Pinot Noir, just like I mentioned, uh, in in Champagne, needs a cooler climate. And yeah. and over the next ten, fifteen, twenty years, that's you're absolutely right, Ron. Uh, we're going to see Cabernet. Uh, grown in uh, in uh, Oregon. Yeah, and then the Pinot Noir is going to be moving up to Washington because it's going to be cooler there for a while anyway, and then, you know, we're seeing a shift because of it. Um, well, Washington uh, has been making some really great uh, cabs over the last 10 years and especially in the last five years. So cabs are doing well there, especially in uh, central and western Washington. A little bit warmer climate there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's shifting. It's shifting around because of it. And it's happening not just in California, but also uh, in, well, New York and places like that. It's warming up there. The wine areas there are starting to reexamine what they have planted in areas because of that. So it's uh, it's going to affect the wine business Everywhere, the warming climate is going to put some areas that are counting on certain weather conditions to grow the grapes that they want, and they're not going to have those weather conditions in a few years. And they really need to start looking at what they're going to do, what they're going to grow, what they're, where they're going to plant, and all that. So, yes, yeah. Yeah. but it's it's going to change. It's it's going to be a big change coming up. Have how many clients now as a consultant? I have uh, three clients. Three. Uh, it, it, yes. Uh, I, I work by myself, so there's no one else uh, but me. And uh, three or four is what I like to work with at a time. Oh. Uh, it just suits my, um, my schedule. Um, and also I can continue to do a little bit of writing as well. I don't do as much writing as I I have in the past, but I still do it, and um, and I I I love writing, and um, I ventured out a little bit. Uh, I there's a relatively new magazine in uh, out of San Francisco. It's a quarterly 
um, published by Will Hurst. Speaking of uh, Hurst, um, mm-hmm. it's called it's called Alta Journal of California, A L T A, and I've Never written a couple of pieces. Uh, it's been around for about two years now. It's a quarterly, yes. um, and uh, it's a very literary publication. A lot of poets poets and, and uh, authors write uh, for them. I've written two pieces for them. One, I did a, a piece on uh, Francis Coppola. That was about, uh, oh, a year and a half ago. And then about a year ago, I did a piece for the first time um, ever. I, it wasn't a wine-related piece. It was a profile of David Harris. Is that name uh, familiar to it you? It sounds familiar, but I... Uh... Well, David was... Uh, aside from Muhammad Ali, David was the most prominent draft resistor uh, during uh, the Vietnam War. That's where for I which the he, name. Yeah. Yeah. For which he went to jail. And um, most people know him as a, he was married to Joan Baez. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember the name because it was about the time I was in the service, too, and all that. So I remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I did a profile in, uh, on him. He's... Um, a wonderful man and uh, still has his ideals intact. And um, I really enjoyed uh, doing, uh, uh, writing something that was not wine related. So of all the years of your writing, have you had any published books? No, I haven't. I haven't. uh, No, I I don't know why. Uh, I think I'm too lazy. (laughs) (laughs) I know I have a book in me, but. It's 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 getting kind of late. Um, Never. <laughs> uh, but I have written I have written chapters and contributed to uh, several uh, 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 books. Uh, one I did a chapter on the wines and food of um, Argentina for uh, the tra- it was called Travelers Tales, and I also uh, was the um, the technical director the technical editor for um, the first uh, Wine for Dummies. Oh, really? Yeah. I, was, yeah, I was the technical editor on that. And a couple of other publications uh, I can't remember right now. Hey, I've been doing it well, for 30 have, years. I don't remember everything. Yeah. You have a book in you, though. I mean, you know, just I, compile I, everything you've written and put it, you know, chapter one, two, three, and you've got yourself a book. But You, know, you, you want to be I my agent? Yeah. You want to be my agent? <laughs> but I do know a PR consultant. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> but no, you just you do. You have a book in you. I mean, just there's there's so many there's so many books out there about wine, but someone who has written about them and, and talked about them and been involved with it and been doing it for 30 years, uh you definitely have a book that needs to be out there. Okay, I'm going to get on it tomorrow. <laughs> okay, no, no. I'm not talking to you right now, Alan. I'm, I'm talking to your sister. Okay, you heard him. He's, he's going to start writing his book. So you, I'm counting on you to follow up on this and be sure he does because I expect to see the book, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right, I'm back to you now. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, so you uh, another question that rose on my mind, and you don't have to answer if you don't. But as a PR consultant, you see, you got three, four is your maximum. How long are you a PR consultant for a winery? 
as long as they want you or forever? Or do you say, okay, after three years, I've established you, I've got you going and all that now. I'm moving on to find another client that needs my expertise. Well, it's a, that's a fluid uh, answer that I have. Uh, uh, when I engage, initially engage with a client, uh, it's a, a 12-month agreement. And uh, I've had clients uh, that last uh, for a year. I've had clients that last for two years. I've had a client that lasted five years. Huh? Um, so it, it just depends. There's no tried and true. Uh, I wish I had everyone forever. <laughs> yeah, That yeah, would be well. the short answer. That would be the easy, you know, settle into it and you've got it. So it actually is just to get them noticed and recognized and out there and you've done your job well and they continue on and you find somebody else that you need to get going. So Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm constantly on the lookout uh, for new clients. I'm getting, I get referrals every so often. Um the idea is to uh, get recognition, uh, as you said, for my clients, which in turn, which is always the bottom line, that they can get ROI from, uh, from those engagements and return on their investment. And remember, too, uh, that inherently I only take on small clients, uh, most of whom you know, don't really have big budgets for public relations. So that, that runs its course uh, for them as well. Um, you know, I, I've I've had clients that make a thousand cases. I've had clients that make uh, twenty five thousand, which is still mm. pretty small, and right. especially the small ones. Uh, they, it's difficult for them uh, to uh, to take on a, a, a public relations consultant. Um, but, but with the uh, knowledge you know that what? you have, though, it would seem like it would be almost a no brainer to have you do that for them to, well, I don't know. I just, I'm sitting there. I mean, as a PR consultant for wine, if I'm a small winery and I had a small winery, it would be nice to have had someone who could have got the word out there, got the name out there, uh, got the, uh, uh, posts on different places that, you know, I would not know about and all that. It seemed like it would be, uh, well, again, the ROI would be, far greater than the original cost. Uh, so again, Ron, do you want to be my agent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike and I were talking before the show, we're looking at doing advertising on this show here. Just to, there you go. Would you like to advertise? <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, I don't know. It just it seems like as as a consultant to wine, it seemed like it would be, especially especially small wineries in Napa. I mean, let's face it, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and that's not an exaggeration, as you well know, of small wineries in the Napa area. And how does one get recognized over another by right. hiring that's a right. PR consultant? You know, that's so, oh, right. okay. I, yeah. an, you know, unless they, unless their unless their wines are at an absolute uh, drop dead knockouts, you know, they don't stand a chance. That's really. Right. They they really don't, because there are so many small ones. I I described Napa when I was up there in the in the seventies and early eighties. I described Napa as you pull into Napa and you would 
travel down 29 and there'll be vineyards on both sides, vineyards and vineyards and vineyards. Then you'd find a winery, which was Oakville was the first one you'd run across, I think. Then more vineyards and vineyards and vineyards. Then Martini would be there. Uh, uh, and then more vineyards and vineyards and vineyards and another winery. And then all these vineyards that were there that were growing for the few wineries that were in Napa said, hey, why am I growing for them? I can just build a building here, put in some tanks, and make my own wine. So they all did. So now it's winery, 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 and then a little vineyard, then winery. I mean, it's just it's gotten to the point where everybody who used to grow for the wineries decided just to go ahead and make their own winery. So everybody's their own grower. Everybody's their own salespeople and all that. And nobody can appreciate all of them because there are so many of them. Yes. Yes. And there's also now a third iteration um, of in the wine industry. And that is wine brands that don't have brick and mortar wineries. Uh, They make their wines at uh, other places. And I want to tell you, there are, twice or three times as many wine brands as there are wineries. Really? Of course. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes, because you don't have that investment in brick and mortar. And in many cases, you don't have the investment in vineyards. So I make make my wine at somebody else's facility, and I buy my grapes from somebody else's vineyard. And that's the predominant... um, um, thing that we're seeing now in 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 the American wine industry in the, especially in California. I think I there's something realize. like I, I want to say maybe there let's let's say for argument's sake there are 400 brick and mortar wineries in Napa Valley. There're probably more than twice that um um brands. Wow. I had and no idea. Each winery and each winery and each brand they all make anywhere from two to a dozen different wines. Right, right. <laughs> that's just that's so, uh, staggering. I it really is staggering. I had never considered that, but you know the amount of wines coming out of there, and then uh, not all brick and mortar too. That's I, and, and wow, I. It, it begs the question: How do they? Seller wine. How do they get it out there? How do the people know about it if they don't have brick and mortar? Whether well, you're just throwing well, it on a store shelf and somebody says, oh, I think I'll try this. Ooh, it's great. You know. Well, what has helped is um, a couple of different things. One, if you're in Napa Valley uh, and if uh, you belong to the Napa uh, Vintners, which is a the lobbying and marketing arm of the Napa Valley and very powerful. They have uh, at least two major events a year at which there are thousands of people who come from all over the world. And if you're a winery or a brand, you actually pay to have your wines poured uh, at those events. Uh-huh. And so you can get, you can, you can and one of those events is just for the trade. So uh, people from uh, restaurants and uh, wine shops come from all over the country to seek out new wines. And so that's a, uh, an avenue to sell your wine. Another uh-huh. one, which actually it's been now in effect for about uh, 15 years, uh, 
if you remember the Supreme Court's decision in 2005, at which right. the yoke the yoke of the three-tier distribution system, in other words, from uh, a winery could not sell directly to a consumer unless it went through a second party, a distributor. And, of right. course, then that distributor steps on it and takes their share, and then they can sell, send it on to the consumer. Well, that 2005 Supreme Court decision uh, was won by the wine industry, uh, which uh, parenthetically um, uh, uh, um, uh, has, uh, his name is Ken Starr, notorious <laughs> for uh, bringing down Clinton, represented the wine industry in that in the Supreme Court, uh, and he won the case. And I had the good fortune of interviewing uh, Ken Starr several times. By the way, oh. yes. Um, but but the, the point is here that now, since 2005, wineries can sell directly to consumers. So their websites are a sales tool, and they reach out to consumers that, that way. And that's how one of the, another avenue in which they can uh, get known and sell their wines. Uh-huh. So it's – I guess it's out there. I was, I, I was going to ask you another question, which really isn't related, but it is – how much is the average cost for a tasting in Napa now? If you walked into a winery and want to taste, do they have tiers? Do they have specific cost for reds or whites? So what is the cost? How is that structure now? Well, uh, I don't really know the answer to that because I haven't been in, in, a, in a wine uh, tasting room in years. Uh, and, um, well, I, I because I don't need to because my, my work is – uh, dictates such that I don't need to be in tasting rooms, but I have heard stories that um, wineries are charging upwards of a hundred dollars for a tasting, oh. and that's the, maybe the top of the tier for for the top wineries. I mean, you get a an incredible tour, and maybe you get a lunch, and you get uh, to taste a hundred dollars, two hundred dollar bottles of wine. Uh, and if but you buy still. it, I guess you don't you don't pay you don't pay for that tasting. So I, I'm going to say that the average. It, this is totally um, uh, arbitrary. A, That's okay. A guesstimate, yeah. a, a guesstimate on my part: fifty, sixty dollars is would be. Still. I'm guessing is an average. Wow. Yeah. But you know what? I bet you that's going to change now, if and when these uh, tasting rooms open up again. I, I think the prices will come down, certainly in the short term. Wow. I, I just, what, <laughs> again, I refer back to the late 70s. I didn't pay. I mean, back then it wasn't wasn't an issue. You'd go on, you'd try a couple, three wines, you'd thank them, you'd usually pick up two or three bottles and you'd leave. There was no charge. But uh, Yes, yeah. 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 So for the longest time, Sonoma County, next door neighbor to Napa, uh, which right. always suffered from Napa envy, um, they boasted, oh, well, we don't charge like Napa does. Well, I want to tell you something. Probably the average tasting uh, room now in, in Sonoma is probably 35 40 bucks. <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah, I don't probably, really know. Probably in Livermore Valley, too, now, since there's so many wineries and it's so close to San Francisco, and they have to. Well, I had a story told to me that the reason that the tastings had to start charging was because – 
the young people, and I say young people, the 30-something and youngers, and this was a number of years ago, so these people are actually us now, but the young people would rent a limo, pile the limo full of everybody they can fit in there, and go up to Napa and taste wine all day and not have to pay for a tasting. So they would go up, have the limo drive. They would share the cost so it would be negligible if they got a whole bunch of people in it, drink all day for free, and then come back. And Napa said, we can't do this anymore. We can't be letting you come up here and get drunk for free. And so they had to start charging for tastings, and it has went up since then. But that's the story that I originally heard, why the charging for tastings came into existence. Well, well, that certainly was a contributing factor and uh, opened the the floodgates and um, which which in turn opened the floodgates to uh, build uh, castles and uh, monuments mm-hmm. to themselves and and they had to pay for it somehow, huh? That's a good point because some of them are castles and monuments. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Literally. <laughs> Literally, castles and monuments. <laughs> so, Mike, do you have any comments or any questions uh, for Alan here? I know he's there. He has to finish doing a little text that he's doing right now to, before he joins us. I wonder oh, if he, I, I I wonder if more. Okay. Yeah, I hear you now. <laughs> I didn't have my uh, my unmute thing here. Um, yeah, I have a few comments from uh, Shelly, Marcy, uh, Felix. Uh, jump back in there as well. Uh, Shelly says uh, earlier on in the show, uh, Chianti by Aunt Esther. Aunt Esther? Uh, yes. And also says you... <laughs> also, they're still chatting. Uh, also says you are very passionate, uh, was, was talking about writing a book, and uh, she said your legacy. Um what else? Oh, uh, Marcy, uh, Marcy says, uh, mentioned wine with ice cubes in it, and she said her uncle did that. Uh, maybe it was a Sicilian thing, and also agreed you were passionate. Uh, Felix uh, came in and said uh, he's just listening. He likes, uh, uh, just likes the wine. So uh, thank you, Felix, for, for your comment. Uh, then the, uh, let's see, you talked some more. Shelly comes back and says, uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Ron, for airing. My brother, Alan, always proud of him. And, and she just mentioned this again, ask about Brooklyn and food. Hmm. Uh, we'll get into that, I guess. Uh, and yeah. then they start talking about, start talking about coffee house, a coffee house in the village in New York City. And uh, did you have a, the first coffee house in SF? Is that San Francisco? Uh, before Starbucks. <laughs> Interesting. Is that oh, am man. I reading that correctly or? Hi, <laughs> Alan. You you have so, sort of kind of sort of kind of Mike. Uh, I got the gist of uh, of what uh, what you read and what my sister is getting at. Um, I think okay. the food. Uh, she I referenced it earlier that we used to go over to uh, our aunt and uncle's house uh, for Sunday uh, supper. And there was always great Italian food on the table, along with uh, wine and afterwards espresso. I mean, we're talking uh. about these things in the 50s, right? Uh. And um, so wine and food uh, and later on uh, coffee became 
um, it's not my passion, my interest. And I parlayed that into my career, my pr- a profession. And so what uh, Shelley is alluding to is that um, in 1976, I opened a little coffee house in San Francisco, which <laughs> is still which is still there after really? 1976. Oh. Yes, uh, I sold it after five years, um, and it was not the first uh, coffee house in San Francisco. But at the time in 76, there were about maybe a half dozen coffee houses outside of North Beach in San Francisco. North Beach was is was really the Italian neighborhood in yes. San Francisco oh, where yeah. all of the old coffee houses were. And so when I opened uh, my place in 76, there were maybe four or five, six others in the city. And um, I'll tell you, had I been a capitalist, remember my last name is Goldfarb. My last name is Goldfarb, right? Had I been a capitalist, today my name would be would be Goldbucks. <laughs> so I was there long be I was there long before another Brooklynite opened uh, Starbucks. Yeah, you could have been. It could have been all around the country now. Yeah, I could have been a contender. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. You lost that opportunity. What street were you yeah. on? Your coffee house. What was the name of the street? What? Chenery. See. Yes, Chenery, C-H-E-N-E-R-Y. It was in a little-known uh, neighborhood in San Francisco called Glen Park. And, I know Glen uh, Park, yeah. Co- I used to go to San Francisco all the time when I lived out there. Yeah, yeah, I know Glen Park. Oh. Yeah, that's why so I was the name I of the don't coffee recall house. the street. Yeah. Chenery, name of the Chenery and Diamond. Oh, Diamond, um, okay. And it, it was called, it's called Higher Grounds, and it was on a BART station. And ah. BART is the is the subway uh, yeah. system area, in uh, the area. area. And so in the mornings, we'd open at 7 o'clock in the morning, and on their people on their way to work would take BART, and they would stop off at higher grounds and have their shot of espresso. On the way home at 6 o'clock, they would stop by higher grounds and have another shot of espresso. <laughs> and when I opened, when I opened in 76, I had to educate people on what an espresso was, believe it or not, <laughs> what, a, what a cappuccino was. Oh, boy. Uh, and, and that inspiration <laughs> to open uh, the coffee house, when I was a, a young man, I used to hang around in Greenwich Village and at those coffee houses in the village, and that was the inspiration for opening my coffee house in San Francisco. All right. And, and you blew it. But, you, you know, really, you could have – we could have seen higher grounds coffee shops all around the country and all around the world now. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, w- I want to tell you, I opened it. I opened this coffee house because I really didn't want to work. <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to have artists and musicians and poets come in, and indeed they did. And this is before the internet, so there were no computers, and they would sit around by six tables and have one cup of coffee a day, and they sit there for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> that's funny. That is funny. Yeah, that's that's when the old coffee houses were hippie joints. Yeah, you that's come right. In and, 
not not hippie beatnik joints and yes became hippie yeah, joints and, you're right yeah beatniks yeah, yeah that was the inspiration was be, the beatniks and but then we were hippies and so uh, yeah, and indeed we, we the were, musicians came and the poets came and the writers came and I loved it but I didn't make any money <laughs> yeah so you sold it became a writer and suddenly <laughs> I sold it in 81 and I went back into the newspaper business and that's when I began my column, my wine, my first wine column in the Livermore Valley. Uh-huh. That's a good story. Well, thank you, Shelley, for making him tell us that. That was, that was a good story there. <laughs> that was, that's very good. <laughs> well, uh, don't forget your book. That's your your next yeah. you know priority here. You writing a book, and I definitely want to. Once you get it written, I definitely want you to let me know. So. I can okay. Remember, get a- agents get agents take ten percent. No. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> that's mine. <laughs> so, uh, so I, Alan, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, no, thank you guys. I I loved it. You you were a joy. It was really fun. Great stories. Uh, you know, I just uh, uh, it, I'm glad that you had the opportunity to come on and join us tonight. Anything, Mike? You want to say, Dallin? Nope. Um, I just want to thank our uh, our listeners out there uh, and uh, everyone who was in chat. Uh, uh, Shelley, Marcy, uh, Marcy, Marcy, sorry, and uh, Felix on Facebook. Uh, I don't know who else uh, might have been out there on Mixer or Twitch because we're on on both of those and on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, those stats haven't come in yet, but uh, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. And um, you know, if you're you're just catching the show, start over and listen to it from the beginning. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, just yeah, appreciate it. But uh, yeah, very good, very good group. And thank you very much for uh, for sharing your time and, and your uh, your stories and everything with us. So it was really really great to have you on. Thank you. Very no, thank you. Great, thank you, guys. Very educational. So thank you, Alan. And uh, I guess the next time I'll be talking to you is when your book's published, and we'll get you on to promote it. Or I get another client, and I'll send them your way. Okay. That'll be good, too. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And your book. Definitely. You don't, don't deflect the book. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, have yourself a good evening, good. and uh, stay safe, and uh, hopefully we'll talk sometime again. Okay, guys. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Oh, All right. Fun. Yeah, that was very good. That was uh, I couldn't keep up with the with the typing, but I got I think I got most of that. So yeah, that was good. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I okay. uh, I said, do you have anything to say, Mike? And you uh, didn't say anything. And I said, well, he's probably writing a, a tweet or something because has <laughs> his microphone yeah. off. Yeah. Oh, my my uh, foot switch for the microphone wasn't working at that point, so uh, uh, it was giving me fits. But yeah, but yeah, we'll we'll use what you said. That's good. Sounds more professional. If it's you know something else. Yeah, that yeah. was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Uh, good and uh, you know, writing for so many years as a wine journalist—that's that's exciting. That is, mm-hmm. 
an exciting thing to do. And boy, I was, I was kidding, but I was very serious too. I hope he understands I was serious that he really has a book in him with all the stuff he's written about wine and all, all the people he's interviewed. I mean, he mentioned two or three people there that he interviewed and that's a chapter in itself almost, you know? Uh, So all the, all the places he's been, who went, who traveled to or or talked to tasted the wine samples and, Oh gosh. And, uh, our, uh, Chat audience agrees. Um, yeah, everything's yeah. a chapter there. I mean, he can even write a chapter yeah. on being on All About Wine. So there, you know, we've got it set up for him. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big hit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so. um, well, very good. I saw I saw our engineer was in uh, was tuned in as well. So uh, thank you also to her. Um, oh, appreciate yeah. that. And I didn't. Hope I didn't miss anybody else in chat. She can't hear yeah. her, so she, she listens to him. Oh. Well, apparently the beginning of the show, the audio feed, when I switched to the new um, uh, template background that's showing now, the audio was not in that particular screen. So the, uh, people on social media, the three of those out there, they, they missed the first part. But luckily we had people, um, the, the three that I keep mentioning, on the show, right. they met, they, they were saying, I can't hear it. I can't hear it. And, uh, no. Oh man. Well, so I tuned in on my phone and I was like, oh, I don't see the closed captioning on there. Something's wrong. And I, I was checking it out and I go, Oh, you know what? You got to add audio to the particular uh, screen setup. And so, yeah, sorry about that oh. to everybody on social media, but I was like, blog talk radio is there because we're, we're, that's our origination point. But, um, yeah, I have to, it's working now. So it's been working, oh. but it's just like the first first few minutes, maybe ten ten minutes. I think five five, five ten minutes was blank. Um, well, it's except a good for the thing screen, they, they so. were there. They let you know, or else you would have never yeah. discovered. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, we would have gone through the whole show. <laughs> it's just, okay. Yeah. It would have been blank. Except for that, but uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so thank thank you very much. Thank them. That yeah. part out. Yeah. Yep. Um, do you have anything else to add after uh, he was on? It's uh, uh, 26 no. uh, right now. Wow. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. No, I just, uh, you know, everybody still be safe out there. They're opening up some states all around the country and different things, but still be safe, you know. Yep. We have, what, phase two coming up? Um, yeah. Friday, this, I think phase two is. Tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, bars, bars. Oh, is that tomorrow already? <laughs> yeah, that's tomorrow already. Yeah, yeah. This is June already too. Wow. <laughs> oh wow. Wow, that just kind of came up there all of a sudden. <laughs> all of a sudden, um, and it's June. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I thought it was still March. I wasn't sure. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. So. <laughs> What else? Uh, I guess we'll, um, if we close it out, we'll go ahead and um, you know do our thanks and everything. Uh, June 11th, we'll be on again live at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Um, thank you to everybody for tuning in again and for chatting. Really appreciate that. And uh, tell tell your friends and family about us, and that we are available on those different networks. Uh, we're on Facebook, of course. Blog Talk Radio is the origination part, but it doesn't have video. How sad. And then uh, <laughs> and, and Twitch, and no, you're not going to see our video feeds personal. No, so. <laughs> you are not going to see our faces, and we're not going to be on there. I did that. 
I actually tested that a few weeks ago. I, I, I don't know if I said anything, but I had a little, oh, little you're, you're thing on the corner there. No one here. Oh, I really? Little, no, I didn't see it. Yeah, it was only, it was just a little bit, and then I thought, well, okay. <laughs> I just kind of, what are they yeah, looking I at? You know? <laughs> but see, I've got the 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 uh, camera for the computer. I've got a little thing yeah. over it, so to see it, I have to slide the little thing out of the way so you can yeah. see me. And so, yeah, yeah, I have the same did. thing on here, but it's but it's called aluminum foil. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a little thing. I don't know where I got it, but it just it just stuck right there and it slides back and forth. It's it's a cool little thing. Yeah, made so people huh. can't see your face. Yeah, you know? that's yeah, that's a good yeah. thing. So you know it's off. You ever, I don't know if you have the Google home or like Alexis or something, Alexa, what's it called? No. Alexa. But uh, yeah. we have Google home here and every once in a while we're talking or we're seeing something on TV and we go, Oh wow, that was good. Google chimes in and says, I am sorry. I cannot help you with that. I was like, why are you even listening? I didn't ask you anything. That is the strangest thing. It's like nobody asked. Nobody said the Google, you know, phrase that you have to say. And I'm afraid to say it now because, you know, if, it's you, if you're listening to me on your you. phone, or, yeah, yeah, because uh-huh. it's like what? You know what it nobody reminds me you. of? What it reminds me of? Okay, remember? Oh, what was it? Ten years ago, when they came out with the little Furbies. The little things uh-huh. that responded to your voice and it learned and it started to yep. communicate back and forth. That's what it reminds me of. The Furbies. Just out of the blue, the Furby will wake up and start talking. And, you know, that's just like Google or, or you go home or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just like out of the blue, just wakes up and starts talking to you and says, hello, are you still there? <laughs> yeah. I don't think Google was connected to the network, uh, to the Internet yet, but uh, – this stupid thing when it when it's listening I'm like you know what else are you listening to you know <laughs> what? Yeah, really really I know I know that's yeah you're almost out of the blue. yeah <clears throat> yeah wow okay thank you very much yeah really um, and now turn yourself off <laughs> yeah. go to sleep yeah. like the old Furby unplug- go to sleep <laughs> that's right yeah. unplug it yeah. whatever um, yeah they're taking over. Yes, <laughs> so it is. We will be back. Uh, we'll be back next uh, Thursday, June 11th. Again, yep, 7 o'clock uh, p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks again to everybody for tuning in, and thank you so much for chatting with us. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And thank you again to our uh, special guest, Alan Goldfarb. And, um, you know, wish you the best of everything and, and uh, your endeavors. And, you know, um, looking forward to a I don't know if you convinced him, but uh, it would be cool to see, okay. a, see a book. With, well, I've uh, told his sister, everything. so that that will help. That will help a lot. Oh, yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you all next next time. Thank you. Thanks again. Okay. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Be safe. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.